Welcome back, Seahawks fans, to another episode of the Seahawks Nest Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Santo, joined, as always, by the Mac to my thorny. It's Kevin Garber. Kevin, how you doing? Uh, which one of us has the powerful lips? And that would be that would be me, yeah, uh, be obviously, because I have the big... I'll, I'll take it. And our very own Farva. It's Eric Ronnebeck. Eric, how you doing? <laughs> I know, you thought, you, you thought I'll be Foster. I'll no, be Rabbit. No, no, I, I, it took me, honestly, it took me a while. I would just say that I would enjoy a liter of cola. Very topical. I don't, don't want, have a I don't large, Farva. I don't want a large. I want a, a liter, liter of cola. cola. I, just, I like in the, in the new ad for the you know, Super Eric, Troopers, You know, Eric, our shenanigans are cheeky and fun. Yours are tragic. And cruel, the louse hate the sugar. The powdered sugar, sir. It's, it's delicious. delicious. <laughs> All right. Um, so, a little sneak uh, preview there. We're uh, we're back, Seahawks fans. Uh, we are here. It is four eight four seventeen eighteen. Oh man, I <laughs> April seventeenth, two thousand eighteen. My brain still doesn't work because I just had a baby. We've got a week and uh, a half left till the draft. Yeah, we're we're hurtling towards interesting things because the Seahawks have are kind of in a weird holding pattern. They they've decided we're going to make a couple small moves, but we're really waiting to see how things shake out in the draft. The trades we're able to make to trade down. Um, this Earl Thomas rumors mill has started to heat up. Oh, let's, go, let's let's address that right off the bat. The Earl Thomas today uh, he posts on Facebook that he's a lion, he's ready to roar, and he skips voluntary activities. Um, let me tell you something. Earl Thomas wants a new contract, and if you want a new contract, you know what you don't do? You don't go to organized team activities. And, you know, no one's talking today about how the Rams are going to lose Aaron Donald, but he also skipped uh, voluntary team activities today. Yeah. It's it's not a big deal. It's it's It doesn't mean anything. We are, you know, I would say that before this happened, we were at a 25% likelihood to trade Earl Thomas, and now we're at a 25%. <laughs> nothing, literally nothing has changed. So, um... Eric, what's the least you would accept in an Earl Thomas trade? Um, what, like, from a fan's perspective, a second and a third round pick. Okay, uh, and I feel like that's good value, but I it's mean, not great. Look, it's not great. It's not value. great. But if you look at what safeties are out there on the market that are available, a second and a third should kind of make you happy. Yeah, it right. Doesn't make me happy. Team might look out there at Trey Boston and uh, Eric Reed and say, you know what? If we whiff on Earl Thomas, we can just go get one of these guys for four or five million dollars this year. Yep. Kevin, what's the least you would accept in an Earl Thomas? It's trade? the reason why I don't see him going anywhere because it'd be a first and a third. Yeah, and I don't think anyone's going to do that. And I would take a late first. I would take a second rounder this year and a first year first rounder next year. Um, I know that that a lot of people perceive that as far less value because you know getting a draft pick down the line is rough. But if the team feels like they have they have no choice but to move on, which right now they obviously don't want to move on, but if the team feels like they have no choice, I think that is a, a good way to go. Get Dallas a second rounder this year, their first rounder next year. Hope that they continue to suck, <laughs> and that that pick ends up in somewhere between ten and fifteen. Um, yeah. All right. So uh, that's uh, that's Earl Thomas. Other Seahawks news this week: the Seahawks have a new kicker. They signed Sebastian Janikowski to a one-year deal. He's going to come in and compete for the job. With Jason Myers, so, and I, you think I'm joking, but I'm not. That is going to be a Amen. legitimate camp camp competition. Uh, we all expect Sebastian Janikowski to win. I think in this room, what is it about Sebastian Janikowski that makes him so great, Kevin? Uh, to me, what makes him good is consistency. That's what you really want out of a kicker. When you get to the point where you're within that kicker's range, you want to know that that's three points on the board with a period if not an exclamation point. And that's what was really frustrating about Blair Walsh was 
all last year, we would get down and you'd be like, all right, we have to get inside of the 30 and then maybe kind of we might get three points. And it was awful. Since 2008, uh, Sebastian Janikowski has been above 80% in every season except one. So, yeah, he's been pretty consistently great in that one season that he was under. He went three of seven on 50 plus. He, the thing about Janikowski's career percentages is he tries so many 50 yarders that sometimes he'll have like a kind of eh season in terms of percentage because, yeah, I guess if you kick a if you attempt 11 50 yarders, you know, and you miss five, it's going to hurt your averages. Yep. Uh, Eric, are you excited to see Janikowski try to bomb it deep into the into the end zone? You know what I like about the signing is it's if you look at John Ryan and now we have Sebastian Janikowski. Our kicking has some toughness to it, and you couldn't say that with Blair Walsh. I like the toughness of Janikowski. Uh, we all know that John Ryan is a ninja warrior. Uh, I don't know. It's exciting, although I'm not going to say that you know Janikowski has this job nailed. I mean, look at every kicker in the NFL. They were kind of like, who the hell is this guy? That could be his competition this year. Yeah, my, my thing about Janikowski is he's going to doink like a 30 to 49 yarder every year. He ha- There's no year in his entire career where he went perfect on the kicks from those from that distances. So he's going to miss like one to three 30 to 49 yarders, which those frustrate people. But he's also going to knock through like four of five or or five of seven 50 plus yarders. And that's that's a joy to watch. There's not a lot of guys in the in the league that can do that. So. <clears throat> that that's that's what's really cool to me about Janikowski. Also, he has been very good on the new extra points. He's only missed three so since the since the extra point changed, which is uh, pretty good. I'm I'm a, I'm a big fan of that. Yeah. So that's Janikowski. Let's let's head over to uh, Russell Wilson and Ciara. They had some pancakes with Jeff Bezos. Do you think Russell Wilson will join our corporate overlords at Amazon.com? So I believe he signed a cornerback. <laughs> no, come on, man! I wanted to, I wanted to do the joke story. Okay, Dante Johnson. So Dante Johnson was a 49ers cornerback last year. He was generally thought of as a huge liability uh, by 49ers fans. Here's my thing about Dante Johnson. I'm yes. Last year, he was complete garbage. He was a dumpster fire. He was tired, fire, trash, whatever you want to say. But if you look at his pre-draft measurables, this is totally a guy the Seahawks would be picking in the fourth round of this year's draft, and it's not close. They would feel like they got a steal if they were drafting him in this year's fourth round. We got him for free to come in and compete for a camp job. Yes, he has damaged goods, but he got picked in the third round by San Francisco for a reason, and I trust this team to coach up cornerback talent. If he's bad, guess what? There was no investment. We just get rid of him. And if he's good, hey, we're looking at another player like Deion Jordan we can get excited about that we have under team control on a decent contract. So I, I'm actually kind of excited about Dante Johnson. There's potential there. Yeah, maybe it turns into nothing. That Lots of signings turn into nothing, so that, that's fine. But there's, I can see why the Seahawks went for this guy. Uh, do you guys? Did you guys do any Dante Johnson research? I can uh, give you some stats. If you I want. just did a quick comp with him, uh, talking about you talked about with the draft. You know, he ran a sub four five forty. He had a thirty eight and a half inch vertical jump. He had a one hundred twenty inch broad jump. Thirty one and a half inch arms. And he has thirty one and a half inch arms, which is a little short for Seahawks. But that's like that's like right at the edge of what they want, right? So he's thirty one and a half inch arms at six foot two with a big vertical jump at thirty eight and a half inches. That means that he can cover a lot of space. So physically he's pretty similar to Therald Simon. And look at how many chances we gave Therald Simon. Right. One, and he just had no coverage in One thing about his college tape, one about his college tape is he got destroyed by Sammy Watkins. So I mean, Sammy Watkins is supremely talented, but that is something to keep in mind. Like this guy definitely has flaws. Um, 
and yeah, he's got a chance that if they can develop him, he's got a shot. And if not, well, guess what? We move on with almost no no loss, no yeah, harm. No basically, foul. he's our new DeAndre Elliott. That's the thing to remember. He's being signed as like a fourth or a fifth corner, and if he competes and earns better than that, then that's just gravy on the signing. But as of right now, he's a body that can go in there and play if needed, and if and otherwise, he's just a special teams guy. I didn't really pay attention to Dante Johnson last year, so when we signed him, I looked him up from a fan's perspective, like you know, going to a Niner Nation or whatever the site to see what the fans say, and the fans were overjoyed to be rid of him. So that kind of you know made me nervous, but I knew we'd get into it on the podcast. I trust Pete Carroll and his coaching, especially of DBs, and like like you said, Nathan, it's not going to be anything big if he if he sucks. You know, we can cut him loose. Yeah. Another thing, too, is these signings like this can frustrate you if you are looking for us to get compensatory picks still. But guess what? We're not getting any. We've, we've, uh, we've re signed we've, a lot of guys. We have signed a lot of guys, and we have not signed, not enough of our guys are getting signed. Uh, we will get zero compensatory picks next year. Uh, so yeah, it's just, it's, when was, when was this decided, do you think? Cause you made the point, uh, I in, think in an email or in a message that this is not going to happen. Like, what was the turning point? Well, we whiff, when we whiffed on all the good guys who got cut, like when we didn't get um, Jordy Nelson, when we didn't, you know, when we didn't get Nadam Kong Su, like the big names. I think those were the, our big plan was get one of these guys and then round out the rest of your free agent class with a couple small signings and then let the compensatory pick calculation work in your favor. When we got none of those guys, the plan totally shifted. I think Schneider thought, you know what, I, I have a different plan. My plan now is let's get a bunch of good value signings to bridge the gap and be competitive this year while uh, accumulating just, just raw talent, you know, and take some take some flyers on dudes. So that's what we decided to do instead. Um, yeah, so if you are dreaming of compensatory picks, that dream, you just let it die. It's not happening. And we're all sad about it, and we'll all move on. Trust the process. Yeah, um, uh, wait, no. The process is where you bottom out. So I don't. I would don't. Let's not. Let's not. Let's not Trust process this process. Yes. Okay. That's that's good. The process is a is a specific thing. But yeah, I didn't say the process trademark. Yeah, we're three. We're three on the wrong sides, which means like you know four of our UF our UFAs would have to get signed just to get one fourth rounder. The thing that sucks is if you look at the APY, like just Jimmy Graham is almost as much as like every guy we've signed. Uh, so so yeah, we whatever it it happened. It's over. So, so wait, if we cut any of these guys, do we? Does it? Is it a makeup? Is it a do over? It's like it has to do with snaps played. So yes, if we Dante Johnson gets just straight up cut, then yeah, yeah, that that could be a plan that they have. Maybe they plan just like to cut a bunch of these guys if they, if they end do up make being the terrible. team and they're good for us. Then hey, we don't need the picks. Yeah, this right? could be training camp bodies. Yeah, they could. They could. But I don't think so. I don't think we'll ever get back on the positive side of that. I think definitely you don't want to count on it. If it happens, it's because we brought in a good crop of rookies and things shook out. But I think we also talked about this um, based on the way the draft shakes, shapes up. That's why you probably won't see a lot of free agency moves in the next week or so because it's going to depend on what happens in the draft. Then you'll look at the next wave of free agency looking to sign based on positions where maybe you didn't pick up a guy you wanted. All right. Now, before we go any further... Kevin, you and I, we had a, a nice little argument a couple weeks ago about what the Seahawks might do in the first round. The Seahawks don't usually play the free agent game after the draft. Do you see them doing that this year? I think there's a good shot just because we have so few picks. Um, I mean, we have a bunch of fifth-round picks, and we have a couple of 
seventh round picks, but round five and seven is not where you're looking for yeah, starters. Yeah, no money picks. Uh, there's some rumors around like Rashid Hageman. Uh, depending on what we end up picking up at running back, I could see maybe going after one. Of right. The people I was going to say. I was going to say there's still like four or five running backs that I wouldn't hate being yeah, our opening. Alfred day Morris, C.J. Anderson, there's a few guys like that. Yeah. There's like there's like four or five guys. I'm like, oh yeah, those guys are all fine. Uh, so if we end up getting one of those guys as our starting running back, I'm fine with that. There's the thing is, we okay. J.D. McKissick signed his tender. What what what's the? We have so many guys. So. Procise, Carson, McKissick, Davis. If we draft or draft or sign a running back, one of these guys is going to not make the team. Yep. Isn't the obvious guy to not make it McKissick? Like in my opinion, like would Last you guys agree? Last week you that? were talking about how how versatile he is. I think we have to look at the scheme. Um, what does the offense look like under Schottenheimer? Um, what does this new offense do? Maybe if it's better than Mike Davis does, or you know, it could be something along those lines. So yeah. I think until we get into training camp and we really get to see how the offense works, it's hard to say for sure who's first up on the cutting block, except that from a talent perspective, it's not Procise. And from a production perspective, it's not Carson. I think everybody else is tied for last. Yeah. Dave, Davis, Davis has... I think Davis has an inside track on making the team like today just because he was the most consistent performer last year in terms of health and and being on the field. But he all obviously, you know, he's been he's bounced around the league a little bit for a reason. Right. He's 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 yeah, uh, between he's, injuries and just he's, he's small and he's hurt. He's only 25. So when well, I think we're we're not fully sold that Chris Carson is going to come back super healthy. Look what happened to Thomas Rawls. It's a different injury, but. Thomas Rawls was not the same back when he came back. I don't even know if he was going to be that consistent of a of a positive back for us. I have a lot more faith in Carson because Carson has better vision. He's a he's and a better running style. Run yeah. to getting hurt as much. But I also that's, that's a big difference in my book. I also like McKissick and Procise are versatile running backs, meaning you will split them out. And like Kevin said, with Schottenheimer's offense, I don't know. Like I'm I'm There's expecting the element. moon. I'm I want to see all the cool new stuff we're gonna do. So I think there's value in everyone we're picking up, and yeah, it will shake out. But I, I still want like the addition of two running backs on this team, one via draft, one via signing. So I don't know. I'm just gonna let it all play out. All right, uh, that's uh, that's that's it for me for for Seahawks stories. We signed two backup quarterbacks. Uh, Austin Davis is back, and so is Steve. We signed Stephen Morris. Uh, they'll compete in the offseason for the, for the backup job. Uh, Austin Davis obviously has the inside track. He already knows the playbook. Stephen Morris a bit younger, a little more athletic uh, from Mike from the University of Miami. Um, I'm not I'm not crazy about either of these guys, but guess what? I don't want them to play one snap because if Russell Wilson gets hurt, that's not good for the Seahawks. Yeah, neither of these guys is exactly plugging up a roster spot. So, but uh, they're both warm bodies that can back up. Yeah, they'll compete. Uh, I think the plan right now would probably be Davis makes the team and Morris gets snuck onto the practice squad as like in the the emergency guy because we always try to keep a quarterback on the practice squad for in case of emergency. Yeah, and that's not going to be Boykin <clears throat> after too many chances. Yeah, Boy- Boykin has pretty much used up his uh his all his leash there. <clears throat> Sorry, I have a, something in my throat. All right, uh, NFL stories. You ready? All right, here's my number one NFL story, Kevin. You're going to love this. Martellus Bennett says 89% of NFL players use marijuana. And all I have to say about this is the 89% is a very specific amount. Yes, <laughs> Why not 90 or like 85? I don't Lean, understand. It lends credibility to made-up statistics. Yes, it does. Why did he say 89? I <laughs> wish he would have put a decimal in there. It's such a weird thing to do. It's such a Bennett thing to do. Um, 
I mean, it's the funniest thing in the world. Those guys. Crack me up. Uh, Richie, Richie Incognito is trying to get things done versus Twitter. First, he retire, fires his agent. Then he retires. Now he unretires. Now he uh, asked the Buffalo Bills to release him from his contract. All I have to say is if you don't believe in CTE, make sure to follow at Richie Incognito. Wait, what is that? Is, is that actually his Twitter handle? It's at um, 68 Incognito. It's a it's a it's a case study in CTE. He couldn't quite get the sixty nine incognito. Well, is that... <laughs> I think sixty eight is his actual football number. All yes, right. I, I understand. Um, I just yeah, I feel like uh, he's too he's going, selfish. He couldn't quite get there. He's going full Barry Sanders. The only problem is he is not Barry Sanders. Uh, the Browns signed Jarvis Landry to one of the worst NFL football contracts I've ever seen. Five years, seventy five point five million, forty seven million guaranteed. Uh, basically, I, what I think they thought was, if you got a slot receiver, you got to lock him up um, forever with so much money. They must plan on using him more vertically than the okay. Dolphins did, because pa- you can't lead the league in catches and be like twelfth in yardage okay, on uh, that contract. We're gonna play a little game. So I told you that Jarvis Landry makes five years, seventy-five point five million dollars with forty-seven million guaranteed. I'm gonna tell you an, an NFL football contract, and I want you to try to guess the wide receiver that goes with it. You ready? Yep. Antonio Brown. Oh, dang it! I just said the name right away. Is it Antonio Brown? Okay, wait. How about this, Antonio Brown? How many? How many million guaranteed? Do you think in his four-year, sixty-eight million-dollar contract? Twenty. I'm gonna say twenty-eight. Nineteen. All right. Okay. How about this contract? Five years, seventy-one million, thirty-five million guaranteed, fourteen point two five million per year. When was it signed? Uh, well, it's Julio Jones. <laughs> Nathan, you're so good at this today. Hey, Julio Jones is getting less guarantees and APY than than friggin' Jarvis Landry. How about this one? AJ Green, sixty million, four years, twenty six point seven million guaranteed. Those guys signed. A Brown signed his last year, twenty seventeen, and the other two guys signed in twenty fifteen. Yeah, that's that's not good for the Browns. That's right, Jarvis Landry, second highest paid average per year in the NFL among wide receivers. Uh, it's guys like that. It's a beautiful time. Played it for all the other teams. Sashi Brown didn't die for this, guys. I just want you to know. If you're a Browns fan, I am so sorry. Here's the thing. If he shows that he can be a vertical threat and it was the Miami Dolphins holding him back, you know, like, kudos. You got us. But, like, this doesn't seem like it's going to work out. I don't out. know, Kevin. I mean, he's on he's on the Browns, and, man, they can do anything. Uh, Cowboys released Des Bryant. <laughs> Um, I like how that's not your did number not one story. Did not offer to restructure him either. Yeah, they 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 um they remembered last year where he said I would not restructure and they just believed it. They didn't even, they didn't even, didn't offer. even check. They didn't even like check to go. Hey, are you sure? Um, now Nathan, you're super high on Des Bryant. You, right. You really like Des. Bryant. There's a lot of there's a YouTube video you can watch. I don't remember the guy who made it, but he just went through and he did every single time Des Bryant was targeted and put last year and put it in a YouTube video. And he also did like a whole bunch of routes that he ran where he was wide open and didn't get it thrown to him. And I'm just like, yeah, this Des Bryant's fine. Uh, uh, it so, made it really took me down a peg on Dak Prescott though. I already was down a peg from on Dak from last year, and now I'm like, Dak Prescott's he's I. There's a statistic to go with that that I saw, and it might have been from PFF that uh, from 2012 to 14, 70 percent of the balls thrown to him were considered catchable. And then from 15 to now, it's been uh, 60%. A 10% reduction in catchable passes thrown your way is a significant reduction. Like, that definitely would explain some changes in his yardage and other numbers. I'd love I'd love to see him. I think he's going to end up on Washington for some reason. Because I think that there's like a revenge story. Rub it in. in. Uh, but, yeah, and they also need a wide They could use another wide receiver. It'd be a Especially ni- a veteran. He'd be a nice tool to put across from Doxson. I'll tell you what. Like, that... 
That would be that's is, brutal. Is Paul Richardson, guy. Paul Richardson, not good enough for you there. You pa- think Washington needs another receiver? Yeah, I think I, I'm going to go with Des Bryant greater than Paul Richardson. By uh, oh, that's fine. I'm just saying I don't I don't know if they're going to go after. Dude. I think that's a that's a huge gift landing in their lap. Right, that's a huge gift landing in their lap. Uh, but, uh, I can also see the Packers picking them up. I could see anyone but the Giants. I just don't. I don't know. I don't. Des Bryant doesn't seem like the kind of guy who would go to the Packers. Des Bryant seems like the kind of guy who would go to a team that's going to make the playoffs. Yeah, he. I think he wants to win, and I think he wants to beat the Cowboys. So yep. look at, he look, said he wants to beat the Cowboys. Gigantes. Here, let's look at the Cowboys schedule. Do we play the Cowboys this year? I believe we do. If we do, then we got a shot, man. If we're on that schedule, you know he wants to get in there. I believe we play him here. Um, we we play them away. Ooh, in Ooh. Dallas. Be Ooh, better. he wants that even more. Yeah, he wants to he wants to get in there. So all right, I would accept Des Bryant on the Seahawks. I would with open arms. Uh, let me just throw that out there. I think Des Bryant, whatever he makes, it's going to be better than this uh, Jarvis Landry contract. He'd be a great outside possession receiver. That's a fact. He'd fit what we need. We need a guy who's just big and has a good catch radius. A strong, strong man. Uh, that's basically it for me for NFL stories. Kevin, is there anything that I missed? No, man, I'm right there with you. Eric, did nope. you, do you want to talk about Sammy Watkins saying that he's more like an advanced reptilian solar being? <sighs> oh, jeez. <laughs> you know, if, if only we had the time in the offseason. Maybe next year. Join us for our off-season sci-fi special. With you know, we are gonna do, we'll do a special Gruden podcast, and we'll try and put that Sammy Watkins stuff in there. I mean, he said it. He said it. I, it kind of scares me. I'm a that whole he's a, different species. I'm convinced I'm not a human. Never was. I'm more like a. I can't do this advanced solar being. I'm very powerful. It's kind of scares me. LOL. No punctuation. Way too many emojis. Sammy Watkins, you're still on my list. Get out. You know, he's definitely part of the eighty nine percent. That's a fact. <laughs> that the best best Twitter uh, responses to this uh, were from were from Kansas City fans. They, they, some of them said, "Damn it, we paid over sixty million dollars, and he's going to get suspended by the league because of a failed drug test." <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so so that's uh, that's my favorite. All right, so that's it. That's it for uh, Seahawks and NFL news this week. We're going to dive deep dive into three more positions we think the Seahawks could target in the draft. Kevin, where do you want to start? What do you want to start out with this week? Well, let's go ahead and start on the offensive side of the ball. We have one position group to do over there. Uh, and we'll take a look at wide receivers. All right, wide receivers currently on the roster. We have Doug Baldwin, uh, number 89, and Tyler Lockett, number 16. They are deadlocks to make the team. Jaron Brown, also a lock to make the team. Uh, then we also have added Marcus Johnson, Tanner McAvoy. We have David Moore, Amara Darbo, and Cyril Grayson taking up roster spots at this time. Um, so, obviously, the three guys I said first are sure things, right? After that, it's really up in the air. Any of these guys could be cut. Uh, Darbo's but, unlikely just because of investment. But, you know, you, you've seen the teams walk away pretty quick from draft picks and third-round draft picks in the past. Glinsky. That's true. Um, so, so, I was going to get fourth-rounder. Whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, they cut him. They cut him when he was still in his rookie deal, though. They're not willing to. They're willing to cut bait if they feel like it's not going to work. Oh, out. they've walked away from fourth rounders before they played a snap. Yeah, so, I'm looking at you, Chris Durham. So, Kevin, what are some wide receiver? What are some things you think the Seahawks look for in wide receivers? Okay, so I went back and compiled a list of every wide receiver we've taken in the uh, GCPS arrow. Yeah. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six, yeah, seven, eight, nine. It's quite a few. So we've taken nine wide receivers, um, a lot of seventh round picks. It's something we like to take a flyer on. Um, a lot of fourth round picks, which is good for this draft. The theme in that is all but two of them ran a sub four five forty. So you're looking at a you're looking at a receiver that runs sub four five, has about a one twenty broad and a thirty five inch vert. 
So you're looking at people that are show athleticism, burst, speed, and quickness. So you're looking at kind of running back type traits from a receiver and pretty fast runs sub four or five. Um, a lot of them had pretty solid college level production. Um, most of them were over 1,700 yards receiving, which is quite a bit for a college career. All right, so who who's a receiver you think we might be looking at with our first round pick, or or you know the first pick when we trade down to thirty three or whatever? So that's the thing. I don't think there's any player that we're gonna be looking at with our first round pick. But if we trade to the back end of the first round, there's only two that I think make a lot of sense. One's Christian Kirk out of Texas A and M, who I know we brought in for a visit, and the other one would be DJ Moore out of Maryland. No, we gotta get my boy Kevin Calvin Ridley. You knew I was going to bring this up. Calvin Ridley is going to be uh, picked too early, and I don't think that he's lots of people are what we want. Lots of people are mocking Calvin Ridley into the end of the first round, and it's like my dream because this guy f- played in like the least pass heavy offense and still was impressive on tape. Like, he's a really good routes guy. He doesn't show the athleticism that the team usually looks for at the position. He ran a four four three though. He's twenty three though. Like he's so old for a college player. For he's a college wide receiver, he's only yeah. a junior too. Like what did he, I don't know what Calvin Ridley did before he went to college. Like I want I kind of want to. Does he have some story Google, of did him he play baseball or something? Like did he go to a store? Like maybe he uh, feel good. Uh, he was a bagger at the local shopping. Yeah, mart. he was a senior in high school when he was nineteen. He only was allowed to play three games in his senior year due to age restriction rules. Oh, he's held back wow. in kindergarten. <laughs> Super weird. All right. Anyway, uh, Kevin, tell me about Christian Kirk. Let's start All right. With him. So Christian Kirk's more of a slot guy, but he's one of those players that can uh, stretch the field with his speed. I think that the comps to Golden Tate make a lot of sense. So for that reason, I could see him being moved to the outside. Because um, he's only five ten, he's about two hundred pounds. Uh, a theme that you'll see with a lot of the guys I recommend are going to be kind of more that running back body. Uh, he's fast. He was really productive in college. Um, like the talent's undeniable. This just the size thing, I think, is what 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 worries people, right? Like he's five foot eleven, he's two hundred pounds, and he doesn't have like a clear. I don't think he has a clear like. Oh, he's definitely going to be an outside receiver kind That's of. That's the big thing is like uh, he projects more as a slot receiver. That's what you've seen him do, and he can play slot vertical. And he like he does play... jet. We don't need another jet. Like he, oh, he, one of the things that Christian Kirk's going to be real good at is he's going to run a real good jet sweep yep. in in the pros. And guess what? We don't need that. Tyler Lockett's already super good at that. So I actually like the next two clusters of receivers a lot better. Wait, didn't you have another first-round guy you thought we might take? Uh, DJ Moore. And DJ Moore's an outside guy. He's out of Maryland. He's about six foot. He played a lot more on the outside. He can play inside-outside. Uh, extremely athletic. He had like a 40-inch vertical, ran 4-4-2. Um, this guy has all the traits that you want. He had over 2,000 yards receiving in college. Um, I just honestly think someone else is going to pay more. If you look, we don't draft receivers in the first round. So it's just, I, I would find that unlikely. It would be a big break from pattern. Yeah. If we draw, if we, if, if one of these guys drops, um, even like, like Ridley or the two guys you brought up, like if one of them drops a lot, that could be something we do. Like if there just becomes like a value play. Right. Right. Like, Best man available. Like, oh, this is like the top guy on our, our, our chart. Like when we get, this is the time, you know? So that, that could be a thing for sure. All right. So. Now we got this next crop. We're down into the like second, third round guys. Yep. Um, who, who do you like, Kevin? So I have a list of several receivers I really like here. And I think what it would be is the Seahawks would value these guys. And it'd be like whichever one Tyler Lockett's. 
Okay. You know, they're, they're a second round pick, but they dropped to the beginning of the third and they're a value pickup. So Michael Gallup out of Colorado State, mm-hmm. James Washington out of Oklahoma State, Anthony Miller from Memphis, Dante Pettis from Washington, and Equinemia St. Brown from yeah. Notre Dame. All na- all time name team Equinemia St. Brown. I'm, oh, I'm He I, sounds I, like a Maya Angelou I'll be, poem. I'll be honest, what I like about an Equinemia St. Brown is how tall he is and he just gets on guys. He gets on the cornerback so quick, he right? He eats like, up their cushion fast. He just yeah. he's just like, oh, he's so fast. Um, I actually am one. I wonder a lot about um, James Washington, Kevin. Do you think that that he seems like guys? Different evaluators have him all over the place. Some people have him as late as the third round. Some people have him eking into the end of the first round. Like what? Where do you think he ends up, and what do you like about James Washington? So James Washington and Anthony Miller are the two I like a lot out of this group to fall, okay. and it's because they both run just under six foot. But they both play the deep ball really, really well. And that's something that, if you think about what this team can use, like Golden Tate's not a huge receiver. He's right about six foot. But he was a great deep threat on this team because he could use his speed and his route running and his athleticism to create space. And these are both guys that could do that. They have a knack. What they're really good at doing is they know where the um, quarterback's going with the ball, and they can adjust to the ball in the air and make plays on the fly. And then once they get the ball, they run it like a running back. So I think that these are two players that are really interesting deep threats in different ways. Yeah. James Brown, James Brown, like one weird thing about him is he caught almost every pass he caught outside the hat outside the hashes on the right side of the field. Yeah, James Washington is just a prolific deep receiver. He's the guy uh, Mason Rudolph just threw the ball up in the air and had James Washington run under it. Yeah, he, was number, he had 20, 20 deep pass receptions last year, twenty plus yards. That was first in the nation. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, and he ended up running a four five forty. Uh, his pro day numbers were really good. Um, and so he has the requisite athleticism. This had over four thousand yards receiving in college. That's that's sick. Mm-hmm. That's just not something that's very common. And so the reason I like both these guys is because sitting at about five foot eleven, you know, you have to remember uh, Paul Richardson was only six foot, and he was a good outside threat in this offense. These are both guys that can just get that half step you need in the NFL. Yeah. They have enough athleticism, and they're both they're just kind of instinctual receivers. Yeah, I don't feel like the Seahawks are the kind of team that just falls in love with a guy because of his height. Like they're not going to reach for DJ Chark or like a or like a um Equinemius St. Brown just because they're both like 6 foot 5. You know what I mean? Like they're going to they're they would they would rather take a 6 foot guy who knows what he's doing on the football field. Right. So I feel like they're going to kind of stack up these receivers and whichever one falls into the third if we end up trading our way to a third round pick, I could see us ending up with one of these guys. And I think you give me any of those five guys, and I think they can be productive. St. Brown doesn't always play to his height, but with really bad quarterback play, he made a lot of plays. Um, Dante Pettis is a guy who gives you something in the return game, but also showed his ability in jet sweep, slot, and outside. Uh, Michael Gallup was a really prolific outside receiver for Colorado State. Yeah, I like I like Pettis's Pettis is sharp when he runs too. Like I like the way he runs a route. Um, I don't like that he didn't do anything at the combine. Is he hurt? Like uh, I need to know in more. In his second forty time, he uh, hurt his legs, and he um, pulled a hamstring, I think, or tore a hamstring. Um, but he got hurt. So I have a feeling Dante Pettis is going to have a similar career to like Jermaine Curse, where he's going to be consistently solid. Like that's the. 
That's the feeling I get. And I'm, I would be totally fine, honestly, with having a Jermaine curse on this team right now just to fill out the wide receiver. I think the ceiling's court. much higher. Though. Oh, the ceiling's higher just because of the punt returns. The punt returns add an element that if Jermaine Curse was an awesome punt returner, like that guy would still be on the Seahawks. I also think Dante Pettis just has better hands. I'm gonna do that. I like I like Curse's ability to go up and get jump balls, though. I agree. Uh, the they're, with, they're a little different, but I think like production wise is what I mean. The big thing for me with Washington, Miller, and Pettis, which are my favorite three out of that group, is all of them can make their cuts without slowing down, mm-hmm. and yeah, that is sharp. a huge, huge skill for a deep receiver on the outside. Because it makes all of your fakes and everything so much more viable. All right. So then um, just heading down to the next tier, just give me like one or two guys that you think the Seahawks could target that are in that late fourth, fifth round. Uh, these are guys the Seahawks could 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 go for. Did you have anyone in that group? So Deion Kane from Clemson, Jamon Moore from Missouri, Cedric Wilson from Boise State, Darren Carrington from Utah, and Traquan Smith from Central Florida. Right. And out of those guys, I really like Deion Kane and Jamon Moore a lot. Oh, man, I thought you were going to say Traquan Smith. That was one of the guys I thought you'd really like. I like Traquan Smith a lot. The only thing with Traquan Smith is it's really hard to evaluate him on the film sometimes just because um, a lot of times you'll be watching the film and he's just clearly a better athlete than the corner he's going against. He has such good body control, though. He like, does. The way he like jumps up and he'll like beat a guy. I, I love stuff like that. Like, that shows me something. It's it's hard to... You can't teach someone to do that, right? Like, to be tough and make a good play over the middle like that. Well, or any 6'2", 200 plus. So, he's a guy who... Like, he has kind of that Jermaine Curse body. Yeah, and, and when you look at his spray chart of all his receptions, Kevin, this is one of my favorite things to do, is when a guy has, a, like, a catch on, like, nearly every part of the field, it's very satisfying, right? It, it lets you know that he can kind of be versatile and move around the field, which is something you need in the modern NFL, right? That's a fact. All right. Yeah, I, th- I think Traquan Smith's a good one. What was and then, yeah, and there's just there's a, this wide receiver class seems pretty decent down pretty deep. Would you agree with that statement? Yeah, because I even have a couple of bargain bin players. I think Byron Pringle out of Kansas State. Um, anyone who watches Kansas State football knows they have terrible quarterback play. Yeah, they went down to their four string quarterback last year, right? Yep, and so Byron Pringle is a guy who has flashed a lot of ability and could be a steal, and then. Um, Marquez Valdez Scantling out of South uh, Southern Florida, yeah. or University of Southern Florida. I think that he's another guy who has a lot of ability. His uh, athletic measurables tested really, really high. He's another guy who was kind of hard to evaluate because he wasn't always playing against equal talent. Yep. All right. So then uh, I like Deontay Burnett. Like, is a guy like if you get him in an NFL weights program and get him above 170 pounds. The only thing <laughs> is he was a slot receiver. Yeah. I. And so I. That's. I was trying to avoid people I know are slot receivers. Yeah. I just like that. Like, but he is a cool prospect. Yeah. Like as a prospect, just getting him in. He's so small. Like right now, he's gonna get drafted in the fifth round just because of his body. Oh yeah. And it's and it it would be nice. It would be interesting to see what he was capable of. In a you know in a full NFL weight program. All right, let's head over to the defensive side of the ball. The Seahawks are going to be looking for a few defensive players, uh, probably at all positions. Kevin, what position do you want to start with? Uh, I'm thinking defensive end. All right, defensive end. Kevin, when the Seahawks look for a defensive end, what do they look for? So defensive end, we've also drafted quite a few players. Uh, it's a little harder to find this because there's a number of players that we've either cut before the season. And you're or- talking and you're talking edge rushers, right? In the modern terms of the NFL, are you talking like an edge guy? Or are you talking more of like a total, like a defensive, like a more run stopping guy? So we've drafted two run stoppers and mostly edge guys. And I think edge guys, what we'll be looking for in okay. this case anyway. I just want because there's like a modern parlance thing here that's happening where like people call 
them differently now. It's your three four outside rush linebacker slash four three pass rushing defensive end is kind of the same guy. And they, so, so they like just you think about like Demarcus him. Ware, and depending on what type of uh, scheme you ran, you'd put him in a different spot. Yeah, or like there's not very many guys like Von Miller who play a four three outside linebacker and get like eighteen sacks. So like they they started differentiating positions to more to better explain like what made certain players special right and so edge is now the new way of saying like guy who rushes the passer and that's what we're talking about here right yeah it's basically your edge is your 235 to 270 pound pass rushing outside defensive player sweet all right so in the seahawks like what exactly um so you're looking here at frank clark cassius marsh ty powell and bruce irvin mm-hmm. um dexter davis was only back in 2010 and i don't really like the comp on that that much this was a little all over the board uh so it's not like New England where we just know that the guy ran a fast three cone drill. I was about to say the only consistency is fast three cone. Okay, so it under is- a seven ten three cone. Which if you talk to a lot of NFL scouts, they say if you're under seven point two on the three cone drill, you're a guy who has enough speed to be able to pass rush. Okay, so we're looking for fast three cone drills. Uh, which is uh, actually funny that I brought that up because that is one of the things I think that's funny about New England is you're like, hey, there's this mediocre prospect that ran a super fast three cone drill. New England's probably going to try to get him. Um, so, so yeah, and we have the same thing, which is I wonder that might be why they were interested in Cassius Marsh too. All right, so who who ran a great three cone drill? So looking at the so there's a few guys who I think could go in the earlier rounds. It would make sense. I like Sam Hubbard out of Ohio State. Who ran a six eight four three cone drill, which is one of the fastest at the combine. Um, the other thing is one of the skills that has been shown to translate in the college football arena. A lot of skills don't like a lot of stats don't carry over. One of the ones that does is sacks. If you get pressures and sacks in college, you are more likely to get pressures and sacks in the NFL. That's one of those things that just. It's, it's a sustainable skill. So Hubbard's a guy who has gotten sacks. Yeah, um, he he had, has 21 career sacks. I was going to say 10 sacks last year, right? Yep, for yeah. Ohio State. So that's a crowded line to be getting sacks on, too. Um, he's 6'5", 270, so he's similar size to Frank Clark. He would be a really good way of rounding out our crew. And I could see him going in like you know late first all the way to like mid-second. Yeah. And he could be a value pickup in the second round. If we keep our first round pick, did like Harold Landry's like a very real possibility, right? Yeah, he is. He's a little bit smaller. He's uh, about the same size as like Marcus Smith. Yeah. It's about 6'2", 250. But he's a freak athlete. He had an extremely good junior year and then was just injured and double teamed his senior year. But at 18 overall, he could be a, another value pickup. Yeah, that's the thing is, is that like if Harold Landry came out after his junior year, he probably would have been a, a borderline top ten pick because he had eighteen sacks and like was just destroying everyone. And then yep. his, his senior year tape is not very, not very pleasant, and so teams are going to shy away. Um, my hope is that that ends up being someone we can get at the end of the first round if we trade back, like a like a defensive end option for us. Yeah, if he Be- fell kind of like uh, I hate to bring it up, but like Malik Dow did. Um, that could be something that would fall in our favor. He has off the charts athleticism. Like this, he might he might be like the most athletic guy in the draft. Like he's he had, he's insanely athletic for his size too. He's, yeah, if he would have had his if his senior year would have looked like his junior year, there's no way Bradley Chubb would be the first defensive end taken. Yeah. That's just a it'd fact. be it'd be Harold Landry. Yep, um, and Arden Key Arden Key probably passed him too, right? Like 
Oh no, Arden Key. No, not Arden Key. Sorry, Marcus Marcus Davenport and Marcus Davenport because Marcus Davenport is whatever you want him to be. Like he's really projectable, but he is so raw. I do not want Marcus Davenport. He is not a fit in my book. Yeah, he, I don't think he's a great fit on our team, and he's a guy. If you were to ask me which top five defensive end is most likely to bust, he's mine. Okay. You don't like this guy at all, uh, Davenport. I just think that he would be a great like third or fourth round developmental pick. But if you put him in there and expect him to be like to carry your pass rushing load from day one, you're in a bad spot. All right, who are guys that are going to go a little later that we might be trading into or looking at? Okay, uh, so two guys that are a little bigger and have a lot of productivity in college. Um, Duke Ejiofor out of Wake Forest and Taekwon Lewis out of Ohio State are both guys that are strong career productivity guys. They're a little bit bigger. The athleticism numbers aren't as good. But they just are sustainable players. And then on the more projection side of it, uh, Dorrance Armstrong out of Kansas and Uchenna Nuosu out of USC. Yeah, Nuosu. Uh, do you think that he might show up as a line, oh, like a regular linebacker sometimes, like as like Bruce Irvin did if we picked him because he's kind of small on the smaller end. I could see him do that, but he's about the same size as Harold Landry, so I think he could just be more like a rush specialist. Okay, I can dig it. And um, then a few guys, if you go like late rounds, um, like if you're looking in the fifth or like around the fifth round, uh, Kylie Fitz out of Utah just could never stay healthy. But the guy's an athletic freak with a lot of production. Uh, Marcel Frazier out of Missouri is extremely productive, but didn't test as well at the combine. And then Joe Osman out of Central Michigan got no combine invite. This dude was dominant in the MAC. And at his pro day, his workout was really, really strong. Um, if we got Joe Hossman, I'd be really, really excited about that. He's a guy who could be extremely productive. He's about 6'3", 255, um, plays big on tape, um, even against like NFL-level players. He's a guy who could be kind of a steal, just because he didn't really have a ton of exposure. Mm-hmm. All right. Sweet. Um, oh, well, and should we bring up uh, our obligatory Hercules Mata off of? reference we can i mean the thing is weird about hercules montoff is he played all his snaps at defensive tackle yep and so it's hard to it's hard to say what he'll even be in the nfl but i mean if you're going to take a chance on a guy who um played out of position and is way too small he's six foot two 252 like that guy should not play defensive tackle so we have four fifth round picks if if we spent the 31st pick in round five on hercules montoff i would shed zero tears yeah but he's gonna go in the third round like i just there's too much production for some for teams to pass on him that many I don't times. Know, people get scared. 30, 30, 30 hurries last year, ten sacks. Like he that, should go. That's higher, from an interior but... defensive line position too. All yep. right. Is there any other positions you want to talk about on defense before we uh, head to the movie zone, Kevin? Uh, so the last one's linebacker. Oh, you want to hit up a little linebacker action? Okay, this is probably the position of of least need, right? We have three good linebackers on the roster already, but we have no backups. Right. So this will be this this would be a good spot to get someone who's either a development project or someone who's in it. what are the so the seahawks uh who could they be looking at for linebackers so i again group this into like rounds two and three rounds like four ish i have a five through seven and i have a couple guys who i think there's, might be priority free agents there's like an obvious guy that that we should get out of the way everyone knows that the seahawks are probably going to take a long hard look 
at Sha- Shaquem Griffin. Yeah, Shaquem uh, Griffin would be a really great pickup. Sha- Shaquem, uh, he's a really good pass rusher. He had an awesome senior bowl. He did really well at the combine in the things he participated in. He did not do a three-cone drill. He did not do a vertical jump or a broad jump. He could probably play de- some defensive end uh, floating back and forth the way Bruce Irvin did. So... But he's doing this at six foot two twenty. Like you have to remember, Shaquille Griffin's is twin brother. They have the same build. Yeah. So the thing about Griffin is, yes, he's he's slight. Although, I mean, you could probably add like a good fifteen pounds if he had a whole arm. Let's be honest. Just kidding. Sorry, I couldn't help it. Uh, I just don't know where he plays in the NFL. Does that make sense? And that's the only reason he might fall far enough that we pick him up. Two down. I I could see him playing two downs. Outside line, but you know what? The same way we're planning on probably using Barkevius Mingo this year, two downs off ball and then third down on the line. You know, bump sure. him down onto the line and let him pass rush. That, the other thing to remember is he did start his career as a safety, and he has some coverage skills. Oh yeah, like people people seem to consistently overlook the fact that Shaquem Griffin could cover. Yeah, well, he had 19 sacks the last two years, so it's easy to <laughs> it's easy to just remember that and and forget kind of the other stuff, right? Yeah. Um, okay, okay. Uh, what other linebackers we got? So if we go for an early round pick, uh, we're looking for a starter. Maybe we're looking for the next K.J. Wright. Uh, Jerome Baker out of Ohio State and Fred Warner out of BYU make a ton of sense. I don't think we're going to pick up a guy that early, but both of those hit all of our athletic measurables that we're looking for. I think both those guys might be available. So one of those guys could be available late enough, too. We could snag them in the fourth. Yeah, it's going to be a weird one to see how that works. Because the linebackers in this in this draft are all kind of... Um, samey. Same, yeah, samey is a good word to describe it. Like, obviously, like there's Roquan Smith, Tremaine Endens, and Leighton Vander Esch. Those guys are all three kind of above everyone else. Yeah. And then if you go after that, I don't feel like... It's, like I really like I really like Josie Jewell, but I can totally see him falling in the draft because people aren't into it, you know. And that's like, the that's he's going to be in one of my groups coming later up because I'm seeing a lot of things that are pushing him like day three. Right, and I mean and that's the thing. Jewell had a chance at the beginning of the whole pre-draft process to end up really really high because the production was crazy, and then he ran a four eight two forty, and every time you see a mock draft now he goes farther down. Yep. Um, so. So a couple of guys I think in that like round four or five area, uh, Oren Burks out of Vanderbilt, who's another safety converted to linebacker. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a guy who is really quick, good in coverage, has some pass rushing ability, and he'd be interesting because he could back up all three linebacker spots. Another guy who I think has the same ability is Dorian O'Daniel out of Clemson. Those are both guys that I really like because they give you immediate value on special teams. They can definitely back up inside linebacker and weak side linebacker. And I think what Dorian O'Daniel is is like he's good in coverage. Yeah. Uh, he had he had a really good uh, covering yards per coverage snap. Um, he got targeted a lot last year and still held up pretty well. So that that's pretty good too. Like, um, yeah, that's the thing on that. The, the thing about these linebackers too, a lot of them didn't run great forties. You know, this is just a weird linebacker class for sure. Yeah. I'm I'm with you, Kevin. It's there's those three guys at the top. Like I love Tremaine Edmonds. That's my guy. But Tremaine um, Edmonds is amazing. Roquan Smith is amazing. Of those three guys, that's my I'm gonna I'm planting my flag in that one. In Evans of, out of Alabama is definitely my fourth out of that one. I like Van Der Esch a little more than him too. Uh the other one is if you drop down to like round five or six, that's where Josie Jewell could go anywhere from like the third to the seventh. And it's really frustrating. Because if Josie Jewell's sitting there at the bottom of the fifth or in the sixth, this guy could be the steal of the draft. 
just productivity is through the roof for his whole career. He ran a four seven nine forty at his pro day and like a four eight two, I think you said right. Four eight two at the combine. And that's brutal. He ran a fast three cone. Like he 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 did yeah, the he other six eighty three cone. Yeah, he he's fast otherwise, but he just ran a terrible forty and people are like, uh well that's the that's a cons- it's concerning. I understand why it's concerning. Um but yeah, I don't know. And then Jack Sitchie hasn't been able to do a lot of the combine stuff running-wise because he sustained an injury that knocked him out for the season. So he had no senior season. This guy's out of Wisconsin, extremely productive last year. If he had a good season this year, him and Jewel would have been coming in as like the two big guys where they just had to prove the athleticism. So if we could get Sitchie late, that would be another really good pickup. Yeah, Sitchie only had like, you know... 800 total college snaps or no yet 702 i could see it here yeah 702 college snaps that's not a lot so it's, yeah him it's, and sean Dion hamilton are similar that way it's really like you have to decide you're going to project him you know and that you make your choice and stick with it you don't you don't don't turn back don't don't regrets no no regrets yep um, all right and then chris covington out of indiana is a guy who could be a priority free agent but he tested really well in athleticism in a lot of the areas that we like um had some had a good senior season but not sustained productivity so he's a guy who might be someone we could pick up as like a um a backup at the two outside linebacker positions like more as a free agent like him or like Keyshawn Bieri out of UW somebody like that so I think when you're looking for a backup outside linebacker, there's a decent chance you pick that up in like round seven or priority free agent. But if we want a guy who's like a big special teams contributor who has a shot at being a little more, that's where you're going to look at somebody who will pick up maybe round four, round five. Yeah. All right. Sweet. Uh, so that's the guys we're watching for the draft next week. Um, now, now draft starts next week? Draft is the uh, 26th or the 28th. And we're nine days away. So we'll have one more podcast before the draft. At that point, I think we're going to do a little Seahawks. Uh, well, me and Kevin will both do our like ideal mock, and Eric will decide which draft he likes better. I like that. Um, so we'll do that. Uh, so because after these two week. weeks and uh, and all that, I know these names. So, it's, yeah, no, so. it's I don't know. It's pretty cool. Like I, I'm still going to be like, hey, uh, like the, the the podcast after the draft. Hey, Kevin, why did we pick so and so in the third round? Meaning we got a third round pick somewhere, but <laughs> another uh, another thing I just want to let people know that there's a lot of rumors going around right now that the Seahawks are going to try to draft the defensive tackle and cut Malik McDowell. Um, so just uh, keep that keep that in mind, I guess. Um, We're going to talk rumors a lot more next week because yeah. as the draft gets closer, you get something that kind of resembles things that might happen. Right. It, right now, everyone's just kind. Of, most teams are in a hold and holding pattern uh, about Malik McDowell. Since we're going to cut him, let's just address this really quickly. Uh, I just, um, it's yeah, it's a huge bust. It's a huge drag, but you can't predict something like that's going to happen. And um, I would just you, it should be an all-time cautionary tale. Malik McDowell probably lost. $40 million because he wanted to ride an ATV without a helmet. You know, that, and that's on him. So, yeah, that's all I have to say about that. You guys have anything to add? Uh, that it's not done yet, and so we don't really even know what's going to happen. But no matter what it is, uh, a really unfortunate story. Yeah, it's it's as close to a tragedy as we get in football without, a you know, like a paralysis situation. But I don't know. The guy was celebrating his 21st birthday. Can you imagine what some of you did on your 21st birthday? It, it's... 
it's a damn shame if he never plays an NFL snap. Unfortunately, I didn't eat blueberry pancakes with Jeff Bezos. All right, so uh, let's get to the money. So, Kevin, it was my, it was the funniest picture I saw on Instagram this week. Okay, because it's just so stupid. Because Russ's face in every picture he takes, he's is such like, a he's so corny. Yes. All right. Uh, Go Hawks. <laughs> pass the piece. So, Money Zone, if you want to support the Seahawks Nest podcast, you can head over to patreon.com slash Seahawks Nest and join 16 other people. Separations in- of the preparation. What I want are a you? divorce. Uh, and <laughs> you, broke, you, broke my, uh, you broke my concentration in my, uh, in my plug, and now I'm just like totally off. You're waffling. Find us on Stitcher. Thanks. Find us on iTunes. You, taught, you brought up pancakes. Now you're waffling. Deal with Ooh, that. Okay. Hey-o. So you could join the 16 other patrons that are supporting the Seahawks Mess podcast, including our $7.20 level patrons, which I'm looking up right now. Sorry, we have Lucas, Forrest, and Carrie. Thank you very much for your uh, support. And you guys have really helped us out. Uh, keep the podcast Honorary going. Honorary producers. Yeah, you are the yeah. you are the people all all the people at the four dollar level: Mirza, Keith, Arthur, Frank, Tom, Michelle, and Brian. And of course, the Argentinian 12, the man, the myth, the legend, Augustine. We love you all. Thank you for your support. Um, thank you for all the people who hit us up on Facebook or uh, Twitter this week. Uh, Facebook.com slash the Seahawks Nest. Twitter.com slash Seahawks Nest. You can find us all on any of your favorite podcast apps, including Google Play Store, uh, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, uh Pod, one podcast republic i don't know i'm just making up podcasts uh, also apps now. uh thank you to jrb for just being our twitter bro yeah jrb uh i like all the, all the hearts you gave me um oh and then also i wanted to call out one specific city the weirdest city in our top cities from this, this is week our city of the week the yeah. city that we looked at and went hey really so, we gotta listen from there so um you know i look at the stats for our listeners you know and it's, it's pretty normal cities you know seattle washington arlington washington tacoma washington a couple places in germany portland then i see this one chipping norton australia and i'm just like yeah boy chipping norton australia that doesn't even sound like a real place google it it's like a suburb of sydney so if you're from chipping norton australia and you're listening to the accident podcast that shout out is for you uh keep on send us a message keep on chipping tell us, us what life that you're is not like. a robot chipping keep on chipping that norton okay uh so, for Movie Zone today, I thought it'd be fun since Super Troopers 2 comes out this week. Uh, Eric, will you be celebrating 420 and seeing Super Troopers 2 this week? I kind of want to. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I mean, it sounds like a good idea. It's, it's stupid, but I yes. think it's kind of awesome also <laughs> that they're releasing this movie on 420. Super Troopers. This is knowing your audience. Super Troopers released in 2001. It was a bit of a cult classic. They uh, always wanted to make another one, but after the... Uh, epic failure of their third movie the slam or fourth movie the slam and salmon uh the broken lizard guys had a very difficult time getting a movie made so they kind of took a hiatus super troopers 2 ended up making i think four and a half million on a kick uh indiegogo not a kickstarter indiegogo and uh now the movie is made and it comes out this friday in a theater near you uh super troopers 2 you can see it Friday at 4.15, Eric. No, no. Force. That's five <laughs> minutes short of when you want it to start. Hey, man, I'm, I've been to that theater. They're starting that movie at 4.20. Yeah, I get, they, won't <laughs> be, they won't be done with the previews yet. So anyway, Super Troopers came out in 2001. Stars Jay, Shandra Shakar, and the other Broken Lizard gentlemen. Uh, do you, one, let's just start with this. Do you like this movie? Kevin. Very much. Very much. I, right. I, I like it enough to own it. All right, Eric, how do you feel about it? I, I love it. I don't know anyone who's seen this movie that doesn't like it. Okay, so this movie came out when I was like a freshman in high school, and I definitely got 
probably too into this movie at some point. My brother and I definitely saw this in theaters and I have no regrets. Yeah, I didn't see it in theaters, but I just remember getting the DVD and just like, because it came out, it came out in 2002, I think, in the United States, because it took almost a whole year for it to get from Sundance to actual release. Like yeah, they, they uh, had broke, trouble all the fi- Broken Lizard movies did not have great releases. They uh, they had trouble getting it made. Um, I, I remember this, or getting it out into the wild. So it's, it, this movie checks all the cult movie boxes, right? Like, there's so many things in this movie that are just... They they were knew what exactly what they're doing. They were making a cult classic, and they, they successfully pulled it off. So what's your favorite uh, cult classic thing from this movie, Eric? Oh, geez. Uh, the cameos. Okay. The, weird, the weird, you know, just offhand, the offbeat cameos. Linda Carter. Yeah, here's Linda Carter. Yeah, exactly. Wonder yes. Woman. Here's uh, Jim Gaffigan. Still looks so beautiful at like age 67. Jim Gaffigan getting pulled over randomly. Yeah. Uh, and you can kind right of meow. tell that this was, I don't know, it wasn't filmed a long time ago, but it wasn't Gaffigan at his height. Uh, he obviously, you know, made friends you know, as, as a group of comedians. They had some comedian friends. Uh, even uh, the the mayor, the, the guy who, you know, takes a picture with the weed bus. Yes. Uh-huh. That guy's a character actor. He's in a lot of different things. And it's kind of like you could tell their budget was like, well, we need some faces. We need some real actors that aren't just in our troupe. And uh, I don't know. I like that. I think it's it's definitely a, a cult movie thing. Yeah. I like I like um, the syrup chugging. <laughs> oh. yes. I just think like they, they this scene. That's real, you know. They really did it one, and they were like shaking after it was over, right? Like they, they, he said that it was like super hard to do, and eventually they just like couldn't do it anymore. Like that's yeah, because they had to more just, than one take. They had to just stick with the shots that they had because they literally could not do any more syrup chugging. You uh, got to take a nap after. That, I would imagine. Um, so it's, it's all about the the power of the lips. It's the power of the lips. So yeah, that scene is just really great. It kind of sums up the whole movie for me in terms of like just there's like a plot element where they're like beefing with the police officers but there's like a just a wild like goofy set piece going on where they just throws the syrup bottle at something ridiculous is how happening how come there's no damn syrup at all the tables <laughs> so Little yeah jokes. what do you what do you uh, what do you what do you like kevin what's your favorite like weird thing for me uh, so the one that always kills me is the whole intro with the college kids and the uh where they uh you know they have them pull over and they're pulled up behind them telling them to pull over even further just messing with them mm-hmm. and the kids are freaking out but then when they put them in the car and they end up at the station and the guy comes out not dressed as a cop the, you boys like mexico and starts doing donuts in the parking lot just absolutely taking the prank like a step way further than it should be that whole thing was very enjoyable but that really just summarizes my favorite part of the movie and that is the skits this movie's full of skits mm-hmm. uh, my sixth or perhaps even seventh sense it's all I, about I, quotes I, right I, uh, I hit it with my elbow and I fell right through <laughs> yes <laughs> Um, at, uh, at the end, when they do like the drunken sting operation, uh, it doesn't ride of the Valkyries play. Yeah, as they as they go in, yeah. There's just there's so many individual scenes that are so enjoyable in this movie that it feels sort of like a, a skit comedy movie. But it's not a collection of scenes. Like we talk about how yeah, no, some of these movies aren't very good. Like oh, they weave a, a real plot together yeah, here. Yes, it works that they shouldn't have been able to. 
bear fucker. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, um, a lot of people like really just bang Farva. Like they they like bang that home that that's their favorite part of the movie. Like they love Farva. I think Farva's funny and he gets you into the movie the first time. But on repeat viewings, you're gonna be like, it's almost too much. The whole Farva thing is it's, he plays the guy perfectly because it's that yeah, it's that asshole the, you hate. The thing about Kevin yes. Heffernan is is like I've seen him do other stuff. He's not like that. In, well, in the other Broken Lizards movies, the the running joke was they gave him the other two roles to make up for having made him be Farva. Yeah, Farva is really obnoxious. Farva's the worst, and my favorite player, my favorite character that Kevin Heffernan ever plays is Beerfest, when he plays uh. Landfill. And his twin brother also oh, land yeah. Phil. <laughs> no, it's Phil and Gil. And then the, my favorite part is that he's like, "Can you just can you just call me Land Phil?" Yes. <laughs> he when they put the photo down and then he puts it back up. <laughs> yeah. uh, that was the problem. Was Beerfest was probably I think Beerfest was their most commercially successful on release. Uh, Club Dread was a perfect horror spoof. That didn't gain the traction it should have. I, and it was, I still enjoy that. It felt like a quiet release. And did the Slam and Salmon hit theaters even? It died. My memory of that is uh, Nathan and I would get together uh, one summer and we'd watch like a movie each week. And we'd just kind of rotate what we'd pick. And it turned into kind of like, let's just decide together. And we went between that movie and... Do you remember the other movie, Nathan? No, I don't. It was Black Dynamite. Oh, did we... We chose Black Dynamite. Great decision. But I, Amanda was like, I really want to watch the Simon Sam. That sounds funnier. And we were just like, I don't know, something about it. And then like a year or two later, you said something like, yeah, I watched that movie. That Simon Sam was awful. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I saw it too. It, was, it wasn't good. Yeah, it's just like... The- that, that is a collection of a couple scenes that work with no story weaving. All of the other movies have a really strong plot thread <clears throat> tying the whole way through. Like they're doing a thing. And Slam and Salmon, I think, doesn't know what its thing is. Yeah. Um, none of these movies are like great commercial successes. They're all kind of cult movies. And what I want to get from you guys here is Super Troopers is probably one of the best stoner comedies of all time. Okay. But I want to know what is your favorite stoner comedy? Okay. Eric Eric shrugged like he's not sure. No, I'm. That's a. That's oh, a, you know for I'm sure. Done, What's yeah. your favorite stoner comedy, Eric? You name it. Pineapple Express. Yes. A uh, great, great movie. Um. Hands down, dopest dope I've ever smoked. Dopest dope I've ever smoked. Kevin, you got a favorite stoner comedy? I mean, we're reviewing it. You're like it. Super Troopers is your favorite. Nice. Yes. I, I would I would put Pineapple Express a, a smidge above Super Troopers, but I think they're close. Like, they're both really funny movies. I would agree to that. If you um, have me operate outside of the two of those, I don't know. It's either Mall Rats or Idle Hands. My favorite stoner comedy is probably The Big Lebowski. Um that is I a, think that transcends stoner comedy. Maybe, but it's it transcends comedy about comedy. a stoner. Yeah. It's so. definitely super stoner. That's an exceptional too. movie. I didn't even think of that uh, in this context. Big Lebowski might be my favorite movie. It's it's up there. So that that's but uh, it's one of the best comedy movies. Ever. What about uh, did you guys ever get into Cheech and Chong? Because I it's yeah. okay. I think it's okay. Yeah, There's, it's not bad. I like it. My favorite Cheech and Chong movie is one that not a lot of people have seen. Which one? Nice Dreams. Okay, I haven't seen that one yet. <laughs> yeah, it's. With it's the just, ice cream truck on yes. the back. Yeah. Um, it's just it's just it's enjoyable. And then to me. another thing too is is if UCF was really good too. Uh, Jay Shandra Shakar has actually become a pretty prolific TV director. Um, he directed like ten episodes of Chuck, like a bunch of episodes of Community, uh, Happy Endings, New Girl, uh, Fresh Off the Boat. Like he's directed probably an episode of every comedic show that you like. He's probably episode directed at least one episode of it, which is kind of interesting to me that like. 
that's kind of one of the things that came from this. Also, in the most episode recent episode of Brooklyn Nine Nine, he was in it, and it was a great. He's a, it's a great role, and I'm, if you're not watching Brooklyn Nine Nine, that's my uh, my pitch to you right there. Is the most recent episode has a uh, Jay Chandra Shakar, aka Thorny from Super Troopers. Yes. So he's also uh, very funny at the end of Jackass too. Just thought I'd throw that out there. Nice. All right. So for Kevin Garber, I'm Nathan Santo, and that's Eric Ronnebeck, and we will see you next week. Go Hawks.